I've even heard it described as being as powerful as 64,000 when it comes to its androgenic ratio, which is obviously incredibly high. And that's that's to be clear uh, now, that's like testosterone is what, 100? Hey, what's up, guys? On this episode of Drugs and Stuff, Dave and I are going to tackle your listener questions as we always do. If you guys have questions for the next episode, then comment below, plus comments, likes, all that stuff. It helps to boost us in the algorithm. Thank you for all your support. And hey, if you're new here, then I encourage you to hit the subscribe button. The better you can educate yourself, the faster you'll reach your goals and the better chance you'll have at staying healthy in the process. This week, Dave and I will talk about methyl trend. Is it really as nasty as it's cracked up to be? Spoiler alert, yeah, it is. Plus, we'll talk about dosing, duration, and application. Should you use a protein shake or a protein bar when you can't get to solid food? Anadrol used infrequently through the week around training. PEDs for untested performance athletes. It's a different game uh, when you're using gear for performance versus growing muscle. All of that and a bunch more, guys. I've got timestamps below if you want to skip around. And thank you to everybody on Patreon for helping to make this thing happen. I appreciate you guys from the bottom of my heart. All right, let's get this thing going. What's up, guys? Welcome back to Drugs and Stuff with Dave Crossland. I'm Scott McNally. All of our programming is brought to you by TrueNutrition.com. You can use our code THINK for high-quality, third-party tested supplements. You'll get a discount. You'll get some supplements you need it anyway, and you'll support our programming. If you're in Canada, you can help to support the programming through SupplementSource.ca. And hey, if you are in the UK, get your lab work done by Dave. Go over to, is it eval? bloodanalysis.com. Do I have that right, Dave? It is evalbloodanalysis.com. Yes. Look at that. I even have a graphic. Boom. Put that right there. Blood work analysis. I like that. So we've got uh, so, right. so many listener questions. A plethora of listener questions. Uh, we didn't get all of our questions answered last week because uh, the string in the can that we have connected from the UK to the United States uh, there were some birds sitting on it, and we didn't have a good connection. Uh, surprise, surprise, our connection isn't much better today. At the same time, we're going to still press forward with the show because you guys you guys enjoy Dave's internet connection. Anyway, uh, let me just pull this thing up. It's from our good so friend. So the picture quality is decent. It's just he keeps freezing. Yeah. I th- yeah. So anyways, guys, just, you know. You're, you can use your imagination when the screen freezes. You can use your like back in the radio days, right? Anyway, I'll jump into this first question. It's from our good friend TTK. Uh, he says, uh, "Hey, I, he, hey, here for next episode, Eastern European. Can't expect perfect perfect English here, guys. Uh, I got my hands on some methyl trianolone in point." five milligram tablets uh what do you have on this drug and is it really that toxic on paper it looks to be the strongest oral there is uh specifically binding on ar i think he meant to say especially not specifically thanks dave so sorry english isn't scott's first language so you'll have to bear with the american twat That's what I got to put up with, guys. Every week, every episode. Oh, you have no idea of the abuse I get in the background. 
he, he sends me messages at three o'clock in the morning telling me how much he hates me, how much he hates my internet connection. Yeah, but it's really only like nine o'clock here, so it's not that late for me. <laughs> it's not that much of a of an hassle. <laughs> um yes it is it is incredibly powerful stuff uh but it is incredibly toxic as well i I don't i'm not so keen on using toxic as a word to describe anabolics i prefer stressful yeah that's a good word i think that's more accurate um hence why it's dosed at 0.5 milligrams (laughs) There is a bit of a clue there. Um, <laughs> it is good stuff. Uh, I've I've heard various numbers thrown about with its anabolic and androgenic ratios. I've even heard it described as being as powerful as sixty four thousand when it comes to its androgenic ratio, which is obviously incredibly high. And that's that's to be clear. Uh, now that's like testosterone is what a hundred. Yes, and okay. trend is five hundred. Okay. It's not comparative, so don't think that Tren is five times stronger than Test or anything like that. It doesn't quite work that literally. But at the same time, obviously, it is an indication that this is a very powerful, very tightly binding drug. Yeah. But it is also very, very stressful on your system. Yeah. I personally have never got on with it. Um, I've, I actually haven't found it that effective. I don't think it really sits a place in, in, in so much in bodybuilding, but definitely for, for performance, strength performance, the stuff can be rocket fuel. Um, I've known a few people drop it in sort of a few weeks out from the show so they can keep their weight training weights high. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing um, because I think there's, there's also an increased element of injury risk there when you're starting to run really strong compounds like this, that close to a show. Yeah. Uh, but no, it, it, it's, uh, it's very potent stuff. And there's no denying that. Yeah. Um, we just did an episode, Andrew Barry and I did, where we talked about various applications of oral steroids. This would be a, a couple times I could think of using it would be either number one, somebody who was leading, like you said, right into a contest for a cosmetic effect or number two, uh, strength, like trying to break through a strength plateau, for instance, that in, in, in short durations, like what would you say would be an average runtime for a compound like this? Oh, I would, I would definitely keep it into the sort of three week. Yeah. And uh, since we do have a lot of female listeners that watch the show, uh, you know, a lot of times we just gloss over things and don't even mention it. But applications for females, I, I, I would say zero for this particular compound. I, I think I think very low dose trend has some application to females when you're talking 10, 15 milligrams of, say, trend nth. But methylated trend, no, way too powerful. And that's not that's nothing negative against a female. It's just this stuff is... It, it is strong. We got a you question. know, in order to do, in order to dose that for a meal, you'd be female. You'd be looking at 0.05 yeah, of a wait, milligram. Wait, what? Nort point? Can you say that in English? Zero point zero five of a milligram. Okay, 
And I'd say at that so, point, man, go somewhere. Like you can't really do that. No, exactly. It's, it's completely impractical. It, it's just too strong. All right. Mr. Well, Dr. Stevenson is with us. He says, question for Dave. Could it be uh, that methyltrialone binds to the AR so tightly to displace, um, basically outcompete any other androgens, at least at the genomic receptor? Yeah, yes. However, so this is not for Scott's benefit because Scott knows this better than I do. But for those that don't know, um, enters the cell, binds with receptor, travels to the nucleus, deposits into the DNA, RNA signaling, uh, then comes back out of the cell, separates, hormone enters back into the bloodstream. Um, in that process, uh, the receptor duplicates on the, on the backside of that, the receptor duplicates. So, and that process is about four, six hours long. That's how long it takes for entry in, into nucleus and back out again. So, um, though I do see it potentially competing for the AR, because, like he says, I mean, the binding affinity of it is insane in comparison to other anabolics, which is in part why it's so powerful. Um, there's also that overregulation of AR off the back of that. So, I, I would struggle to, to think that it could compete in a wholesale across the body. Because I just don't think there are the one that M trying it can be dosed high enough to do that. Yeah. Uh, and and two that the preceding regulation of AR is gonna mean that there are ARs for the other anabolics. Okay. I mean it's one of the things about anabolic use is that it itself it effectively replicates its own receptors. Hmm. So if you saturate the system you would always find that the system will adapt to accommodate for that level of anabolic use. Okay. Fair enough. I'm going to move on. I had a training question for you. Uh, well, let's see what Scott has to say. Scott has more to say? I don't know. He might do. Give him time. Yeah, I'd be curious, anyway, so be curious to hear his thoughts, too. Uh, okay. So can Dave talk about his training? Uh, when did he grow the most? Did his training change as he got bigger? Uh, what was his training split? And how long were his workouts? What were his rest days like? <clears throat> stuff. Thanks. Much love from Croatia. So my most progressive training approach was a three-day split. Okay. So that was chest tries, hams. Back, shoulders, calves, buys, quads, abs. Okay. Three on, one off. Repeat. It's a weird split. It is, but there's reason. So I don't think if you train legs correctly that you can give quads, hams, and calves justification in a single workout. Yeah, you're going you're gonna to lean toward one or the other, quads or, or hams. Exactly. So... What I tended to do was I always split legs. Shoulders and back was a very demanding workout. That was a very difficult workout to do together. But I'd rotate back first one session, shoulders first the second session. But I hit everything twice a week. I wasn't particularly big on volume in the actual workout. So 
a major muscle group, so chest, back, was three exercises, and roughly somewhere around five sets per exercise. It'd be slightly more sets in the first movement because I was having to warm up from cold. Yeah. Um, I didn't do any pre-warm-up movements. I literally used the movements I was doing for warming up. So a typical bench session would be empty bar, 15, 20 reps, really slow, really controlled. A plate, two plate, three plate, four plate, five plate work is set. Drop back by about 30, 40% in weight and rep out. Okay. And then I'd move on to the next set. And, and again, it would just be progressive, but my start weight would probably be a little bit heavier because I'm now fairly warm. Yeah. So I'm not having to worry too much about loading up. Um, and again, I'd do that all that heavy set, uh, and then I'd reduce the weight uh, and do a more higher rep volume set. Okay. Uh, and then again, on the fourth set, where it changed was, so biceps would be two exercises, but the second exercise would be only three or four sets. So I might do five or six sets on the first exercise. Second exercise would be three, maybe four sets. It potentially would be the same weight and just four sets, three sets to positive failure. Um, shoulders would be rears, sides, and a press. Okay. Never did fronts, ever. Yeah. Um, quads generally was three movements. Hamstrings was two movements. Calves was a singular movement most of the time. Uh, tries was two movements and was about 12 sets. Uh, and, and that was effectively it. So it wasn't huge volume per workout, uh, but there was a lot of focus on form, feel, and intensity. I couldn't do HIT. I, I just couldn't train that intensely day in, day out on HIT. So I had a, a sort of more volume-based HIT workout, which was probably closer to Dorian than a lot of people actually realized of how Dorian changed. Dorian did more sets than I think a lot of people realized. Uh, where it's really your, your, your menses that did true hit. Yeah. Now, how many days off did um, you have? One. Oh, God. So you train three on, one off? Continuously. Holy shit. Now, so are you? would you suggest this split to people watching the show right now? Yeah. Most people, the problem with most people is they don't train hard enough. It's, it's, not, it's not that they overtrain, it's that they undertrain. I had a very simple rule of thumb. Um, if I had a bad workout, I'd give myself a bollocking and I'd make up for it next session. Okay. And I, I set limited. So if I didn't get what I got done in those sets, I couldn't do any more. Okay. So if I did chest for argument's sake and I've done, you know, I've done six sets on my first, five on my second, five on my fourth, third. Yeah, and I don't feel like I've hammered my chest. Well, that was it. Tough shit. Leave it till next session. Yeah, I couldn't go back. Um, that forced me to be very, very careful and very productive in the sets that I did because I knew there was never another set I could, you know, I couldn't add on. Yeah, I was quite strict with that. And then I had a very simple rule: if I had a shitty workout, I'd give myself a talking to. <laughs> if I had two shitty workouts, I would start asking questions. If I had three shitty workouts back to back, I'd review everything. Okay. And if I needed time off, I'd take time off. But I was also sensible enough to know that if I go in the gym one day uh, and it wasn't how I felt when I went in, because we've all had those days where we go in the gym, feel like shit, and it turns out to be one of the best workouts we've had in months. Yeah. So it was more a case of if I just wasn't performing, yeah, then it might be right. Okay, I'll pull the weight back a little bit. We'll go a bit more rep and feel. 
and we'll have a bit more of a pump and squeeze this session. Yeah. So there was a there was a strong element of instinctiveness in how I trained. Now, I found that incredibly productive in my younger days, and I went back to it in my older days. And again, I found it incredibly productive. Now, very often I would go into a workout still being sore from the previous session. But as long as my workouts were progressive, I didn't give a shit. Okay. What I would be, um, what I think I found is when I got bigger, I should have probably cut that volume down a little bit. Mm, yeah, okay. Because the loads were bigger that I was moving and my ability to engage with that muscle was so much more efficient yeah. that I was hitting it hard very early on in the workout. Yeah. So I, I think where I may have gone a little bit wrong, and I mean that you know, my, my probably most productive cycle was UC1 and I went from 300 to 365 pounds in six and a half months, seven months. Yeah. And that was a, those are solid gains too. Yeah. I mean, it was big drugs. It, you know, I'm not denying that for one minute that the drug dosage was high, but I trained hard. I trained fast and, and in bodybuilding terms, I was relatively strong. Okay. Yeah, um, I mean, I've but, seen you, yeah. I've seen your squat before. I mean, you, when you say relatively, you were high end, high end strong, I would say for bodybuilding yeah maybe i mean you know 340 squat 260 bent over row 220 bench 220 shoulder press kilos uh yeah yeah all kilos i used to do 500 pound pull downs <laughs> oh we got scott chimed in by the way he's got a lot to say here i don't know if i if i want to put this up on the screen because i might not be able to pronounce all these words Uh, he, he said, uh, my internet cut out during Dave's answer. He says, uh, I, I think the proof would be in the pudding with methyltrianolone as the non-genomic uh, receptor isn't tightly bound by many orals. So via the genomic receptor isn't the only operative mechanism of action. The interesting thing here is that methyltrianolone is in oral. So you'd not want to add more orals to a cycle when someone's using methyltrianolone. Wonder if Dave's seen, maybe seen any inter, uh, interference uh, to speak when adding the methyltrianolone or maybe toxicity accumulates so quickly that the methyltrianolone uh, might need to be taken out. Points to possible intermittent brief use perhaps. So he's saying so the the issue is that over here, particularly generally, it's it's not in oral form. Generally, it's an injectable. Oh, okay. But it's still methylated, right? Yeah, it's still methylated, but it's generally injectable. Okay. Uh, but it's not a drug I see a lot of anymore. It's a drug that seems to have definitely fallen by the wayside. No kidding. Mm. Huh. I don't see it very often at all. Um, I mean, Mast and Primo are the, the drugs of flavor of the month at the moment within bodybuilding. Uh, and powerlifting um, seems to be meant and trend predominantly, but I don't see a lot of methyl plan. In fact, I don't know many labs that actually produce it over here. No kidding, huh? Mm. 
All right. Let's see what else we got here, though. So here's another one. <laughs> but yeah, the training thing. Sorry, just to finish that off. Yeah. So I, in general, prefer a low volume, high frequency approach. And I think most of us are actually more, a lot more capable than we realize. Uh, and we're just being bombarded with this overtraining and underresting that we end up being too scared to actually push. Where I prefer to push and then deal with what I feel. Yeah. Rather than scheduling downtime and, and deloads and all this sort of crap. <clears throat> I can get with that. I'll like, take, a, see I'll what take a rest when I need it. Yeah, see what you're capable mm -hmm. of push to that limit and then pull back as needed. I, I think that does make sense. The key being that you're pushing hard. I think I, I'm a little leery to tell people to, you know, don't worry about days off and to keep training because I think the the vast majority of people, it becomes like you're just punching a clock going to the gym and you're mindlessly going through your workout and it's like just another day at the gym and each set becomes less and less important because you have so many more sets to do. <clears throat> And the mindset can become which you, you know, you, you pointed out, you didn't do the mindset can become that you like, well, there's always tomorrow, you know? Oh, I was, if anything, very much the opposite. One of the reasons why I, I set limited yeah. was because I knew I had to get the job done. But the other thing is I was very conscious of the fact that there's only 52 weeks in a year. And if you're training the traditional bro split of one body part a week, you've got 52 chances in which to allow yourself to grow, knock off holidays, illness, and everything else, and you're probably down to about 45. Yeah. So when you start looking at that point of view, every workout becomes incredibly precious. Sure. I've done and that I, too. I always, had, I always had that mindset that, that I did not have workouts to waste. Good. Yeah, I've done that same thing where I've said to myself, hey, I'm 20 weeks out for a show. That means I have about 19 opportunities to train X body part. Hmm. So. Yeah, I mean, I've always had that attitude that if I don't do it now, I'm only going to, you know, when the time comes, it's like, well, I can't go back. I either do it now or it's not getting done. Yeah. All right. We got another one here. We had a bunch of them. Um, let's see. If, okay, if you had, and he mentions our sponsor, he says, if you had to choose between uh, shakes made with delicious true nutrition protein or Redcon MRE protein bars, uh, which would you go to and why? Uh, two of my daily meals, I can't have whole food because my boss doesn't like when I eat in the truck. <laughs> Dick, he adds to that. Uh, hopefully your your boss isn't watching, Marcus. And and I see people come across this all the time. Let's remove the brand, uh, the brands themselves, and just say a high quality protein versus a, an average, you know, a protein bar. I think, in my opinion, it depends on your goals. It depends. Like if I'll, I'll tell you what I'll do, Dave. If I have somebody who is more plugged in. And they're more they're more able to um, handle eating a structured plan then I'd be more likely to use a shake and if they are less likely or they're a housewife uh, their goals regardless of their goals then I might still use a bar but I find that you can get you can get more specific with the nutrients you want out of a shake possibly with uh, some almonds or 
some carbs from something like oats, that you can get a cleaner meal out of that than you can out of your average bar. I would agree that the shake would be the cleaner approach over the bar, definitely. Um, obviously, real food's going to be your preference, but it's not always viable. You know, in certain working environments, it just can't. you can get away with a shaker on the shop floor, so to speak, but you can't get away with a with a Tupperware till. Okay. Um, and it, it, it is unfortunate, but at the end of the day, it's your job and you've got to play by the rules because it's what pays your bills. Yeah. You know, Dave Palumbo at his biggest was using, uh, he would rotate solid food meal, shake, solid food meal, shake through the day. And it worked okay for him. I know a few, I know a few that have done that, yeah. Or they'll go up to a certain calorie density with real food and then anything over that is, is liquid. Yeah. Um, let's see what else we've got here. Oxys. What do you think of using Anadrol three to four days a week to get some benefit without all the harsh GI sides? Will you still get enough positive benefits to make a difference? Absolutely. Mm. Yes. Uh, I wouldn't, well, I suppose maybe. I wouldn't have regarded the GI size as particularly harsh. I mean, I don't think they're overly harsh in comparison to other other orals. It kills my uh, appetite, destroys my appetite. Yeah, but is that the oral or is that the uh, blood thickness? I think it's the oral because it happens like instantaneously. Okay. I've heard that with others. The, the, the other mechanism is uh, blood thickness can trash your appetite as well. Can it? Yes. That's why you find EQ with certain people kills their appetite and with other people uh, makes them ravenous. And it seems, though it's not 100%, this is coming from other sources that I've chatted to about this, that the determining factor is blood viscosity and how low or high you are when you start it. Huh. So if your self-counts are on the lower side and you start the EQ, as that raises, your appetite will raise. Huh. But if it's at the upper end and it goes higher, it will kill it. Peter had a good I'm solution. Getting dirty. You're, you're getting dirty looks from the wife? I, I, I am, but I don't know what I've done wrong. I've probably done something wrong. Yeah, usually done something wrong. Peter had a good solution for Marcus. He said, uh, just quit the job. Free men don't ask permission to achieve gains. Good move. Just one second. Sure. I think that was a three. Fuck, you know. Okay. What did you do? Uh, what did you do wrong? No, there's some bloods coming. Nothing, there's some bloods coming I need to deal with. All right. What else do we have here? Um, love to see Dave's, uh, what Dave thinks about this. Test 750 a week. EQ 750 a week. NPP 500 a week. Four weeks on, off with oxys at 50, 50 to 100 milligrams. AI and Kaber according to blood. Would you change anything uh, for improvement phase? Insulin pre and post, no growth. Um, or uh, wait, and then he also asks uh, no HGH or two units per day. Depends All on right. the finances. Is the four week on off the oxys or is the four week on off the injectables? Yeah. <laughs> 
you, you could do four weeks on and off rotating the NPP and the oxys. Uh, that's a that's, well, that's two gram. A lot of gear. It's a it's a decent whack of gear. Uh, I wouldn't be keen on the seven fifty EQ. Yeah, I, I would. I I no. I just I think it's it's beneficial short lived. Um, I also wouldn't be keen on the four week on four week off. I can see. I can see a sort of logic in that you have a almost a shit period, yeah, of four weeks, and then you have a four week down period where your levels are never going to get low enough so that you're off. Sure, but they will obviously drop significantly and relieve some of the stress and pressures from the cycle, and then you go back into a shit period. What won't happen in the four weeks though is the the blood viscosity is not going to drop, uh, so that's going to compound. Um, I just. And you know I'm not mad on EQ. I, I just think EQ is a steroid for sports performance and not for bodybuilding. That's the best way I can describe it. I like EQ. Listen. See, to me, EQ is more of a performance drug. It's more about endurance work. It's more about athleticism. It's not – I think there are better compounds for muscle building. Yeah. Yeah, I think – I think EQ and DECA would be my two thoughts on muscle building. And then I, I, I feel like for some people, DECA doesn't work for them. Like I, I prefer personally not to use a lot of DECA with guys that are just trying to run a cycle for like leisure and then recover. Like I think DECA is harder to recover from. Uh, but then at the same time, EQ works good when you run a long cycle and a long cycle is harder to recover from. So I guess there's negatives no matter where you look. Steve, I... Unless I mean, you may know more on this than me, but this one area I have very little data on is my my basic understanding is that once you shut down, you shut down. Yeah, yeah, but the longer you're shut down, the harder you know. The longer you're shut down, uh, the the, the harder it is, is to recover. The, so DECA is a compound because it has a high binding affinity. I mean, it's it's still no, it's not higher than DHT, but as it has a high binding affinity, that signal to shut down is going to be strong sooner. Okay. Whereas you could do a, you could do a seven, eight week anabar cycle and you might still have some actual natural test production at the end of that. Yeah. I could see it that. may not fully shut. It may not fully shut you down. Yeah. Whereas something with a high binding affinity, so Decatren, DHT are all going to recreate a, a, a shutdown response quite early on in the cycle. Yeah, but to me, once you're shut down, you're shut down. I, I don't. I am not aware of any degrees of shutdown. There may be. I, I think there's. Do, I'm not aware. Of I think that some things do shut you down harder. Things some things are harder to recover from. And I did find out, by the way, we talked about this before. I I'd spoken to Scott Stevenson, and I forget who else. But those metabolites from DECA that last for months and months after the cycle, that they do affect your ability to recover. So you could still be suppressed from those metabolites, you know, six, eight weeks post cycle and still be battling to, to recover that natural production because of that. Ah, so, so then it's not a case of the actual signal from the anabolics that shut you down any harder. It's more a case of the metabolites are lasting longer post cycle, which inhibits recovery. I could see that. I, I I could see that. I don't know for sure though. I, you know what I mean? It's like I'm just. I, I just from a blood weight point of view, I once you are 0.3 and below. Yeah. 
that's it. You're shut down. You know, it, it doesn't matter what put you there. That's it. If if it's Decker put you there, that's going to be no more suppressive than if Tess put you there. I would agree. You are, you that, are like, shut down. That makes sense. I because I would agree with that. That whatever is shutting you down, being shut down is being shut down, and it's you know maybe well, but, you know if if, if if I didn't realize metabolites had that that post usage impact. So if that's the case, then yes, drugs like Decker are going to be harder to recover from. Um, but yeah, anyway, back to the cycle. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I would be curious as to the, what the four weeks on off is, is that oxy? That's what I'm thinking. Actually, I think he's saying the oxy is four weeks on four weeks off. I think you're right. Uh, so 5,200 milligram of oxy is a decent fucking hit of oxy and it's definitely going to have some impacts, but you've got. I mean, all anabolics are going to thicken blood, but you've got 750 EQ in there weekly, and then you're adding oxys on top. That is a lot of blood-heavy drug. That's true. A lot of blood-heavy drug, and I can see that becoming a negative very, very quickly. Yeah, a lot of people would recommend not to run uh, EQ and and anadrol, a.k.a. oxy, together. Yeah, I mean, you've you've got to look at your compounds. You've got to look at what your compounds do. Yeah. Um, you can call them side effects or you can just call them effects. It doesn't really matter, but every compound will have a series of effects. Some of them will be desired effects. Some of them will be not so desired effects. Uh, increasing blood thickness, to our point, is a desired effect because it increases our cardiovascular ability, increases our nutritional transit. Yeah our oxygenation but then it becomes a negative once it gets too much and it starts to cause lethargy and appetite issues and and also puts a pressure on our systems and a health risk on our systems particularly of blood clots and and stroke and stuff like that yeah if you start going over the 200 with the hemo you start entering into dangerous areas now you're not as a bodybuilder you're not going to take advantage of that high level if you were an endurance athlete, you would. The other thing is endurance athletes actually regulate their blood cells because of their cardiovascular activity. Okay. So if you are, if you have a high, high cardiovascular output, you are going to lower your hemoglobin and you are going to lower your RBC. Yes, yes, you are. One of the things that endurance athletes have a problem with is low RBC and low hemo. So... There is a self-regulation when you take EQ or oxys in a high endurance environment because your actual action of what you do offsets some of the negatives from what you're getting, and you end up with a, a balance. The yeah. problem with us as bodybuilders is we don't do that level of cardiovascular activity. No. You know, hey, so, if I can tell you a case in point, and this wasn't due to gear, but my hematocrit was 57 point something uh, having been sick. And I, I was running TRT, so we think it had to do with my lungs not getting enough, uh, you know, yeah, air and oxygen. Much so. Them. But so what, I, what? what I did, listening to Dante Trudell, was uh, having reduced vitamin C, reduced red meat, so reduced iron. I pushed as much cardio as I could. In five weeks, I went from fifty-seven to fifty point one in hematocrit. It's crazy. You have a look at somebody who has sleep apnea. Yeah. 
and you look at them when they don't use their machine and their blood will be thick. You put, oh, put yeah. them on their machine and literally within two, three weeks, their levels will drop through the floor. Hmm, no kidding. So if, if you've got anything restricting the oxygenation of your blood via your lungs, i.e. a chest infection, COVID, whatever it may be, then you are going to naturally thicken your blood because your oxygenation levels are going to drop and therefore your body's going to compensate by producing more hemoglobin. Yeah. The whole thing about altitude training is that restricted oxygen increases hemoglobin. Yeah. Um, so I just, I don't know if that cycle's sustainable long time. Um, yeah. When you, when you look at your drugs, as I was saying, you, you've got the effects of these drugs, some positive, some can be both positive and negative, depending on where you are. And some are purely negative. You need to look at the drugs you're using and, and in effect, add up the positives and the negatives of that drug combination and, and see if that mass puts you in the wrong place. So for argument's sake, we know EQ thickens blood. We know all antibiotics thicken blood. It's not just EQ, but we know EQ does it a bit more efficiently. Especially, yeah. And we know, and we know oxys do it more efficiently because one of the reasons oxys are used is to treat anemia. Um, so with that in mind, you've got to think, right, if I add those two compounds together, my blood's going to get thick and it'll get problematically thick quite quickly. Yeah. So that may be something I need to consider when I'm designing my cycle. Um, in the same way, if you had two very estrogenic compounds, it'd be like, well, if I put them two together, estrogen management's going to become more difficult. Yeah. And it's like, well, I can run harsher AIs, but that's going to have an offset against HDL. So then I need to look at HDL management. And I was like, okay, so rather than go that way, let's get rid of one of those estrogenic compounds and put a DHT in there. Then I've got some self-regulation with an increase in anabolic activity without the need for running harsh AIs. Yeah, okay. So you take your properties of your drugs and you do a mix and match to suit what you're trying to get out of that cycle. I like that. As Laser would say, the technology professionals. Steroid pick and mix. We also had uh, Gabs had a, a suggestion. Scott needs Scotty needs Clen for the lungs. I'm actually using Clen for my lungs, dude. Uh, like I've tried everything, Dave, and Clen is the only like the number one thing that has made a difference for me. I've tried to go all the routes through my doctor, everything else. Nothing has worked as well as Clen. So I'll take it. I'm actually going to see a, a, a pulmonary, pulmonary specialist tomorrow. So we'll see what goes on with that. All right. We've, we, we won't be able to get through all these questions again, guys. So I apologize to you for that. Uh, but I will see. What else can we get here? All right. Um, his name is I Shouldn't Be Debating on the Internet, but he says, love the podcast. Sometimes I enjoy when you guys talk also, but we all know that Christmas cabbage is the star. PEDs for untested athletes, strength, endurance, cardio, power, uh, being better and more athletic in general, and being able to train harder for longer. I don't want much. Uh, what drugs should would you recommend? And uh, would you cut the dose compared to a bodybuilding dose and why? Kind of, we were just talking about this a little bit. Yeah, so high endurance definitely lean towards stuff like EQ. Yep. Um, if you're talking about a sport that has 
a higher level of um, performance skill. Um, so if you're talking about something that, that that's technically a power sport, then I would possibly look more at DHTs as they are going to improve as a sideline. They'll improve hand-eye coordination. Really, I didn't know um, that. Yeah, it's it's not major, but there is there is some there is some support in that that a DHT is going to help with that side of things to some extent. Yeah. Um, I mean, it all depends on. I mean, are we talking that he's looking for sort of CrossFit style performance and endurance? Or is there a specific sport he's looking at? Yeah, we could say CrossFit. Well, it just, it, it, I mean, I'm not trying to be detrimental in any way. It's just, he it doesn't really give, you know, he says more endurance but power with it. So yeah, it, it, my mind sort of goes, well, really, the way you're looking at there is sort of CrossFit style training. It may not actually be CrossFit, but it's that sort of style of training. Um. I mean, if you're talking high-level endurance, BQ, if you're talking, I would probably be very tempted for a, a medium test, medium mass primo sort of setup for that sort of style and then of training, personally. Yeah, I could see those. And, and, and you know, like you mentioned earlier too, Dave, that uh, although we know EQ and Anadrol is both being drugs that do... Uh, more readily raise your red blood numbers really all steroids do so you will mm -hmm. get a benefit you know from a lot of compounds mm -hmm. i'll add you know one of the part of his question is um would you cut the dose and i would say that you absolutely don't need as much of a drug to get a performance benefit as you do to actually grow lean tissue like i've seen people using say anivar for the for football uh, American football, that is, uh, at like five milligrams, you know, males, big dudes, like you can get a lot out of a little. So, uh, you know, uh, MMA, stuff like that, I would say that, you know, 20 milligrams maybe of, I you know, I don't lean toward Winstrel, but maybe like Anivar, that's a really nice compound because you do get strength out of that. You do get some increased red blood stuff going on so you know that that would be a, a nice option also too does it does it does he need to make any type of a of a weight class you know i'm working with a guy who is i think 180 right now he fights at 155 we have eight weeks until that fight and uh if we were to add in equipoise we would have a really hard time getting down to that 155 point you know what i mean so that's going to be a factor too. So we're we're actually going to run a little bit of Anivar and keep it real low, just a pinch. I mean, talking of that, I mean, probably the the most used oral for sort of athletics would have been T-ball. T-ball. Yeah, the Russians fucking love this stuff. The Russians, the Ruskies, and then they were they were seeing. There's quite a bit of data, but they were seeing very impressive improvements in like shot put and discus and javelin off 10 and 20 milligrams a day. And you don't get the fluid <coughs> that you would have off of like a D ball, you know, mm -hmm. they, they saw very impressive results of, of low dose D ball. Yeah. 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 So no, you don't need a lot. Uh, what else do we have here? Oh, and I like this uh, comment here. Uh, Vincent Ford says, uh, 
uh, can't get through all these questions. Is that a uh, is this a weekly bait to get Dave to do two shows per week? Please, haha. <laughs> no, Dave and I, I can tolerate Dave once. He's texting right now, guys. He's not even paying attention. I'm not texting. I'm actually making a note of something I want to look up. Yeah, what are you going to look up? Uh, I'm going to have a look into the stuff that Scott was talking about. Okay. Uh, Sergio says a question. uh, What dose would you not go over for female AAS in terms of masculine effects? I've heard of women using test, Anavar, Anadrol, Primo, NPP. Everybody's going to be different. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I know a female, world class, strong woman, running 150 mega of MPP oh, a decker a week. Sorry, total 150 decker a week, and she is tearing fucking trees up. Okay. Um, I know a female bodybuilder that was running 700 mega decker, 300 mega trend you know, 300 mega test as well. And, and yet she hasn't masculinized to a huge impact. Okay. Um, I mean, she was incredibly strong and incredibly big, but she didn't particularly masculinize. So there is a really broad spectrum um, of usage and results within females. Um, I know females that don't get on with Anavar. Uh, yeah. I know females that tolerate test really well. You know, it varies so much. And that doesn't help the females generally are quite secretive about what they've done. Um, True. Whereas there is, though blokes do still lie about their cycles and the doses, we tend to be a little bit more open about what we've used. So as a result of that, there's a lot more information around about dose effect. Yeah. With women, it's still very much, even within females that use, there seems to be a reluctance to openly discuss what they're doing. Yeah. Um, and, and as a result, there's a real lack of data, um, even just experience data, uh, on women's dosings and, and effects of those dosings, um, which which does make it difficult, unfortunately. But uh, the general rule of thumb is is as low as you can possibly get away with. <laughs> yeah, that's, a, I think, a really good point. Definitely. And, and when I say that there's variation, let's look at it this way. You know, um, let's take, you know, you've you've probably everybody has met a woman that tends to grow more body hair. Like you've seen women that like you can see like like and I'm not talking about gear users. I'm just and I say this respectfully, but you'll see some women in life will like have a little bit of that five o'clock shadow going on, you know. And, and if you were to say take that woman and put her on some gear, the likelihood of her having side effects, she may be more predisposed is what I'm getting at. So you're going to have all sorts of weird predispositions to have negative side effects in females. The the range is going to vary. You know what I mean? And that's why it's, it's hard to say. And if you take a girl, like, like somebody who has like the PCOS type issues. Now, if their testosterone levels go up, 
then that triggers a whole cascade of issues that just kind of create inflammation and lock their body up and then create more body hair growth and all sorts of other nasty stuff that they don't want to see. So it's not like it's hard. And that's why it is so individual and that you can say, well, you know, Anavar doesn't cause like you'll, you'll read a, a profile online that says Anavar is not known for causing body hair growth. But if you take the right woman, you know, it will guaranteed. You know, I've seen it. The the thing is with the PCOS thing is females will start with facial hair growth and body hair growth at, at test levels as low as 2N more. Okay. So, you know, all right, they may not start getting masculinization of the face, but they'll start with hair growth. Um, PCOS will generally present with test levels elevated around 2N more. Okay. So you're not you're not talking huge elevations in test levels in a female. You're only talking all right, upper range, I think it's one point four, one point six, sure it's one point four. So I suppose you're talking about a fifty percent increase in, in, in their natural range, but I mean, you know, our adrenal glands, both male and female, are capable of producing two N mol. Yeah. You know, it's not a huge number, but that's enough to to, to trigger hair growth in a lot of females. So it is it is very person dependent and duration of exposure is, is a big factor in this as well. Sure. Uh, females will tolerate higher cycles for shorter periods of time uh, and they'll generally tolerate nandrolones quite well at higher doses than they would at other, other compounds. But again, you know, you will always have an exception. And the problem with, 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 with the female situation is we just don't have enough data. Yeah, we they're just they're, there's not enough women talking about it. There's not enough women being bringing their experiences to the table, and so as a result, we just don't know what the fuck is going on. Yeah, um, you know, there's 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 no studies, nothing in, in anabolic use in females beyond medication. Absolutely. So uh, you know, and and so as a result, we're, we're very very blind when it comes to females and and our. Our exposure to anecdotal evidence is so low, it, 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 it is, a, 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 unfortunately, very much a suck it in seat. I worked with a female once. The This was the absolute most unique individual I have ever worked with in my life. Um, she did not, and I, I won't mention her name. I don't want to give any details to you know talk about her in it. But to, to say that she was born both a male and a female, but she mm -hmm. didn't realize this until later in life. Uh, she had her testosterone levels checked and they were like through the roof. And they found out that she had a testy that was still like inside of her body. So later in, they had that removed. And when that happened, her test levels went way down because she was producing like a male level of test. Yet she's a very beautiful girl. So like you, you wouldn't have thought that like, oh, this looks like a guy or anything like that. Um, but she, she did have a good propensity for growing muscle. Like, and she had a nice frame too, like wide shoulders, narrow waist, wide legs. Like she, well, yeah, you've got to remember as well in that situation, that's how she's created. Yes. So they removed the so... testosterone and then it, she crashed. Uh, they had to yeah. put her on a testosterone replacement, which was a pretty hefty dose. Uh, and, and get this. So due to her genetics, she was resistant to getting the negative side effects 
from testosterone, from androgens, while she was exceptionally receptive to the positive benefits of it. So I think that's that's like she's a genetic marvel. And I feel like that with the right training and nutrition in time, she could be Miss Olympia, like and be absolutely beautiful, have zero side effects running like test levels of men. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like high male natural doses. It, she, it, she really was a, a marvel. It was she's really cool. It, 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 I mean, when you find, I, I will use defect sounds too negative, but uh, differences in somebody from a de- de- developmental stage. Yeah. You tend to find that their body adapts and compensates to cope with that change. So when someone's born blind, their hearing and their perception is so much greater. Yeah. Because they compensate for the loss of sight. When someone's born with unnaturally high testosterone as a female, you generally find that they'll tolerate that very, very well. Ah, uh, not always, man. Not always, though. No, a lot no, of times no, no. you will see a lot of masculine-like traits, and that's why they didn't catch it. They didn't catch it until they actually tested her test levels. But you, you, you find much better tolerance if somebody has been made that way sure. rather than somebody developing that problem later on in life. Yeah, okay, I could see that. Yeah. So it's like the youngest was born with a hole in her heart. Okay. Uh, so as she developed in the womb, the the heart grew a second an, an extra valve. Okay, wow. To, comp- to compensate for the hole. Yeah. You know, so you get a lot of this when when people have genetic abnormalities, you tend to find that they also have compensatory factors in there to help cope with that. It may not solve it, but it just means that they cope with it much better. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. All right, let's see if we can get like one more question here. I'm going to see what else we've got here. Um, we basically got through. Okay, so we talked about growth hormone on the previous episode. And we talked about like exceptionally high doses. By which, by the way, I, I think that that podcast upset a couple of people, uh, and and we had people that were like. These guys only talk about running two gram cycles or more. They, they obviously people didn't watch the show and they just like were offended and commented. But uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, how about let's talk lower dose then. Is it worth the cost to run two units of growth a day for muscle growth and or fullness? Uh, and he says, damn, I knew Dave was big, but 400 pounds. Jeez. I'd agree. Yes. Dave, for the audio listeners right now, Dave Crossland is shaking his head. Yes. I, yes. I mean, we discussed this last week that the lower dose and the, the lower doses are much more productive than the higher dose. Uh, and we actually, we broad spectrum that and said, you know, generally actually across the board. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's definitely benefit from two IU, um, possibly even one IU, um, depending on your quality of GH. I, I think one is probably your borderline where you're starting to maximize what you'd get natural. So whereas one are you, you could probably say, well, I could produce that using peptides. Yeah. Um, you wouldn't produce, I don't think you produce two are you using peptides. I think that would need to be a synthetic. You'd have to push them. Uh, That'd be, I think outside max, you know, you'd be pushing. Yeah. I, th- I think, I think you'd really be pushing the limits there. Uh, but yeah, no, two, two definitely is enough to, to have an impact and be beneficial without a doubt. 
And and I think another factor is age, right? Because the the mm-hmm. if if you're a young guy, say like you're 19, and you're like, hey, can I use one and a half units of GH? Will that help my cycle? You already have a lot of natural GH, and I would think that your results you're going to get as a healthy young adult is probably not going to be as well as good as if you were in like a deficit you know you take a 55 year old guy he might do better on two units than a 19 year old guy i've heard definitely definitely yeah i yeah i hadn't actually um um considered the age side of things but it's a very valid point is is that especially with something like choke growth hormone yeah, yeah. Uh, age would play a significant role into the impact of, of the hormone would be having on you. I've, yeah, I mean, apparently from last week's show, we're we're an advert for not taking steroids. Yes, <laughs> yeah. Somebody was like, by the looks of these two, this is a good anti-steroid commercial in itself. And I think he was referring to me and I'm, Christmas cabbage. Personally, I I was offended more for Christmas same. cabbage than anybody else. This this is the effect of not taking steroids for six years. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, I forgot I had one that I really wanted to get on here uh, from one of our regular listeners, the pale man. Uh, and, and, and this is something I think a lot of people suffer from. He says, I suffer with mild IBS and have tried everything and anything to manage it better. Um, have you guys ever come across a client with IBS? And if so, what kind of solutions did you see? Digestion is key for bodybuilders. I would do anything to get this sorted for good. It's brutal. I, um, it's boring. It's non-scientific in a way. It's tedious, but elimination diets seem to be the, probably the best way of working out what you can and can't use. Um, It it does take time. It it can take several months before you get to a point where you know what your limitations are. Yeah. Um, But uh, I would have said that uh, and obviously looking after gut health with stuff like kefir, fermented stuff, uh, good probiotics, things like that were also all going to add to it. But also... Being very careful with your stress levels. Yes, thank you. Uh, and that that comes into your drug use as well. Yeah. If you if you run harsh compounds and you've got a tendency to have problems with IBS, running stuff like Trend is probably going to make it worse. I would agree. Trend can be nasty on digestion. It can. Yeah, it's it's a very far reaching drug. Um, and it's definitely a drug that really should be, I personally feel very at the front of researchers' minds because of how popular it is. Yeah. Um, I would agree. Everything on digestive health, that stress point is a huge one. I mean, stress is really one of the main triggers for IBS. And stress mm-hmm. can be not only like, you know, just what we think of commonly as stress, but I mean, running trend, that's stress, you know. Uh, using drugs that make you feel in a different way, that's stress. Even training can be stress. Not getting enough sleep at night or quality sleep, that's stress. Uh, and, and all those things pile up. And then before you know it, then you have a reaction to a food that you normally can tolerate. And that's what I find with people who have IBS, that they're doing okay, they're doing okay. 
They even can eat a cheat meal and eat off plan, and that's all right. But then once they get triggered, then everything triggers them, you know? Yeah, uh, and, and, and I think that it's always going to be something that is going to have to be adaptive. Um, because like you say, you'll get to a point where everything's going well, and then obviously an outside factor triggers, and then you can't tolerate that food anymore. And so you're going to have to rework your diet for a period until you settle back down, and then you can go again. Yeah. Um, um, I, I was actually speaking to someone who had a similar sort of situation, but it was with their skin. Oh, really? Yeah, and it was stress-triggered. Um, okay. And when they had a flare-up, they had to be very, very strict in, in, in removing all elements of stress. Okay. Uh, um, and, and it was very food-triggered as well. So they had to really go back to, I mean, basically they went to fish and potatoes. Okay, yeah. Um, and then as it calmed down, they could start to introduce richer foods and, and more variants. But when they had a flare-up, they had to pull it right back every time. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's similar with IBS. You know, when you get flare-ups, what was okay the week before just won't be anymore. Absolutely. Uh, BPC-157, that could be beneficial. Very. Uh, I've seen some very interesting reports on oral consumption of bpc um, and its use uh, and help within IBS, but it's it's not the cheapest uh, uh, treatment, unfortunately. But uh... I started experimenting with a couple of people. Uh, well, I should say a couple people started experimenting, and I'm watching what's happening that have IBS and that they're using the injectable version. You know, we what we figured is is that if you inject it, it's going systemically anyway. So, uh, and, and we're seeing some positive stuff. Um, I, I have a couple people that I work with that have Crohn's and one of them is mm -hmm. going to start using it uh, pretty soon here. So I, the other guy doesn't want to mess with it, which, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a new drug, or, you know, whatever. And you know, if you don't feel comfortable with things, then you I, don't I've feel comfortable with it. I, that's, there's, there's been quite a lot of um, very positive noises coming out of BPC for, for Crohn's, definitely. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah I mean, they're doing... I've seen quite a lot on that, actually. Yeah, there's some good research and stuff, but... With that said... BPC seems to be... We are losing our connection. With that said, what? No, I stopped because you said with that said. All right, guys. Well, we appreciate you. Our connection is shot. Uh, of course, guys, go to crosslands.org.uk. You can reach out to Dave over there. Uh, you can hit me up, McNallyDiets at gmail.com. We'd both be happy to talk to you about coaching. Uh, you can go to evalbloodanalysis.com if you want to get some lab work done with Dave over there in the UK. And uh, ask him to pick you up a pizza on his way over to your house because he's going to come he's going to come bright and early first thing in the morning to do your labs fasted he told me he doesn't care what time you wake up he's going to be there at your door and he's going to be happy to see you also check out our great sponsor truenutrition.com you can use our code think get some additional savings on high quality <laughs> third-party tested supplements and uh check out supplementsource.ca guys we appreciate all your feedback everything you guys do with us you guys are awesome thanks Scott. dave Yes, Dave. It's, it's anal lysis. <laughs> See you guys. Com.